Pope Spirit Truth Podcast, where we wrestle with questions from the pew. This is Casey. And this is Jenny. Today, we're going to delve into inner healing. Casey, what is inner healing? Oh, it is a wide spectrum of Googled topics, right? Now, um, a lot of people like to do their YouTube research to try and figure it out. Um, but the reality is that there are issues of the heart that are rarely dealt with within the church. There's a lot of, was it behavior modification that the church really approaches at dealing with belief systems that people have ingrained in them? And so inner healing basically encompasses attacking the root issue being the belief that we have about ourself or God, in which we have corrected by um, inviting Holy Spirit, inviting Jesus into our issue, into that belief, and having him bring truth to that live deception that we have um, allowed to be a stronghold in our life without even realizing it. I love how you're talking about um, that it has to do with beliefs. It has to do with mindsets and thinking structures. And, you know, when I was younger, I was very logical. I was not emotional. And I was very good at thinking and believing the right thing, I thought at least. But what I didn't realize is only like 3% of our thinking is conscious thinking. And 97% of our brain activity is subconscious. And that there was a lot of things that I was feeling and that I was believing subconsciously that were making behaviors in my life that I didn't like and that I was really frustrated with. And I still knew the scripture. I still knew the truth. I had the logical head knowledge, but I just couldn't change it no matter how hard I tried. I couldn't just like grip my teeth and change it. And not only that, but I was actually very frustrated with having a broken heart because Mm. the word says that Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. And I knew without a doubt that the word was true. And so why wasn't he healing my broken heart? Now, what I didn't understand was that a lot of my broken heart issues had to do with my beliefs. And that's the one thing that God honors is our will and beliefs. Why is that, Casey? Well, I, I like what you're saying there. Like, And just to reiterate, like, how many of us have these issues that we struggle with in how we react in a specific, maybe stressful situation or frustrating situation and it's in an unhealthy way and we look at ourselves and we go why do i keep doing this and it's back to what you said it's that issue of belief in and so when we're looking at our hearts and what we need what we fail to realize is that as a man thinks in his heart so is he i mean there's so much rooted in our belief system that needs to be corrected there's so much in our in our mind that, yes, we do attune to truth, we look to the Word of God and we trust in its inerrant, perfect, fundamental pillar of truth, but yet at the same time, we act in complete contradiction to what we believe, and we get frustrated, and we're in this spiral of frustration. So an example would be like, I know that God's my provider. I know he's always provided for me, but I just lost my job and I have no idea how I'm going to pay my bills and I'm stressed and I'm worried. And so the stress and the worry is pointing to that I'm not really believing that God's going to provide. Right. And you see certain people within the church, they might have an encounter with God to where they absolutely know that he is their provider. And then you see them look at other Christians and go, well, why can't you just believe that? Well, they haven't encountered that experience. Their experience dictates completely different to what the Word of God says or what you are saying, and God will absolutely provide. And it's very easy for 
Christians to, in their victories, look down on other Christians who struggle in areas that, well, why are you not being victorious here? Well, the reality is they haven't encountered the goodness of God in that specific area. And so if we look at this understanding like, oh, I had an encounter with God, maybe I need to humble myself and lead this other believer into an encounter where they realize that, yes, the Word of God is true, not just in their mind, but experientially. You know, you have these wrong beliefs that are driving um, maybe subconsciously that uh, if I'm worried about paying my bills, you know, I'm worried about the money actually coming through. I'm worried about God actually sending me money from heaven because I just don't see it coming from anywhere and it's stressing me out. And so there's beliefs that are actually driving my emotions. And that's kind of like psychology 101 is that our emotions drive our actions, but our emotions stem from our beliefs. We can't have a belief without having an emotion attached to it and vice versa. And so even if it's a very subtle emotion. And so if I have an emotion, that is telling me that there's a belief present. And the belief always directly correlates with the emotion. So I can't feel fear unless I have some reason to fear. Right. I didn't understand these things, and so I just thought, you know, emotions That's why are bad. I don't swim. <laughs> <laughs> emotions sharks are, in the water. Emotions are bad, and I'm just going to put those away, and I'm going to ignore them. But I didn't realize that they were actually signaling to me that there was beliefs that need to be taken care of inside of me. Now, Casey, why can't we just cast out these bad emotions? So there are <laughs> – this is funny. I like how you said that. Because there are a lot of Christians that want to treat our emotions like demons and try and cast them out. Um, it's like, well, you shouldn't be feeling that way, so let's get rid of that demon of sadness or that demon of fear. Not to say that those things aren't real, right? We're going to address spiritual warfare here soon. Like demons are real. Yeah, but... demons are real, but to attribute every emotion as a demonic issue is, well, that's flippant and, and nonsensical. So... What is we, we're talking? We're using the word will, and so yeah. let's talk about what what actually is the soul. I feel like people kind of understand the spirit, people right. understand the physical body, but the soul. What is the soul, Casey? So when you look at what our soul is, in simplest terms, it's our mind, our will, and our emotions. We have a mind, so we we're self aware. We have a will that we have a a an ability to choose right and wrong. We have an ability to choose things. Now, many Christians might disagree with that, but we can have that debate in another time. (laughs) And then you have emotions. You have innately within you these feelings. And we are created in the image of God with mind, will, and emotions. So who we are as a being is encompassed in our soul. Where does free will play into our soul? And so this goes back to what you said earlier, like God is going to honor our choice. And so... When we come to this place of having a stronghold of belief in us to where we have been deceived or we have an experience that has ingrained a lie into us saying that these circumstances have now dictated truth to us, we have to come to this place of realization that I'm choosing to believe that lie based off of my experience. And now we have that ingrained in us as a stronghold. And so God can't just take that away from us. No, because it is rooted in belief. It's rooted in our will. And God's not going to contradict our will. He is, he is deemed not to do so because he deals with us as free agents. 
And that's really the heart behind love is that love is a cognitive choice to choose someone. Right. Forced love is a contradiction in terms. And so God having to honor our free will has to do with love. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is completely rooted and grounded in love. Because we couldn't have no free will in certain areas and then also have love. It's like either all or nothing. Either the person's free and free Mm -hmm. to choose God and free to love, or we're kind of robots and we have no um, autonomy with belief. Right. And so what you're going to find is a lot of Calvinist Reformed um, theology or theologians are going to completely disagree with this aspect of inner healing because they're not going to believe on these aspects of free will. They're just not. And so it's going to be a complete contradiction of what they believe just for you to be aware that there's a lot of Christians who don't believe in inner healing. For me, recognizing that, because I was so frustrated that God hadn't healed me, God hadn't healed me. And then when I realized that it was my own beliefs that he was honoring and that it's he can't heal beliefs, dealing with the beliefs isn't healing. It isn't deliverance. It's like its own category. And so many Christians believe in counseling. Oh, absolutely. I think just about all Christians in America would agree that counseling is a good thing. And counseling deals with the the psyche or the soul. Right. And so that's that's a couple of things I want to address, too, is a lot of Christians agree with counseling, but they don't like psychology, which is very interesting to me. Because when you look at the term psychology, it literally means the study of the soul, mind, will, emotions. And so that's, that is a clinical study that you can perform, has been performed for the last hundred years. And what we're looking at is the fault of psychology. And I, I approve of psychology. I think psychology is beneficial. The issue with psychology is it only points you to the problem but can never bring you to a solution. Because most psychology in our modern, postmodern society is devoid of God. It is devoid of Jesus, who is the answer of truth. And so psychology can point out the problem, but never bring about a solution. So what is so beneficial about counseling is that it brings you in line, and I'm saying biblical counseling, brings you in line with truth, that perfect straight line. It is a plumb line. It tells you true north. It is it is um, completely perfect. And counseling brings you into understanding, like, these are the tools that you can implement to achieve a solution. But the problem with that is we get in our Christian culture where we have a logical understanding of, yes, this is what I know I need to do, and yet I get into this perpetual cycle of, I know what I need to do, but yet I don't have the ability to do it. The other thing that I feel like um, counseling does is that it teaches how to cope, you know, and so if you have anger, you know, here's some ways to cope with that. If you have anxiety or OCD, here's the ways to cope with that. But it's not actually healing those things. And psychology is is very much about diagnosing, putting putting a label a good way to put it, yeah. on Just what you're diagnosing. experiencing and and to my understanding, even medicating, you know, so giving... That's the solution in modern psychology is medication. Right. And so giving um, therapies, medications to help temper the symptoms, but also not dealing with the root problem and actually healing it. And and I want to clarify, right, there are really good psychologists out there, so I'm not downplaying, but the vast majority are not going to be dealing with let's think out proper measure in counseling 
of bringing about solutions. It's more of just a, a study of let's pop these antidepressants and hopefully that will dim the thoughts of anxiety or depression. And that's not a good solution. It doesn't bring healing. It's a coping mechanism again just through a medical means. Right. And my two cents on that are if your arm has been cut off and you're bleeding to death, then put on a tourniquet. Absolutely. Definitely don't let it end in your death. Absolutely. And so if you are severely depressed, severely just barely coping, then go get the medication that you need. Absolutely. Go put on the tourniquet so that you make it through the season until you get healing. I definitely think it has its place. I'm not against it, but I also don't believe that it is healing the problem. No, and you can't go through life wearing a tourniquet. So one of the things that I learned was the difference between logical knowledge and experiential knowledge. I love science. I've listened to a lot of um, books from different cognitive neuroscientists and, and just different people that really study the brain itself and learning about the difference between the logical part of our brain that's linguistic and has language and then the part of our brain that is much, much, much faster where our abstract thought, our emotions are held. And those places are actually where our experiential knowledge comes from. And so when I say experiential knowledge, I'm talking about like you touch the curling iron, you learn that it's hot. And so it goes from being a logical mom says it's hot to experiencing the heat. And there's a lot more reverence now for the curling iron. Now you really understand. What's funny is I actually did that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty sure at least one of our kids has done that too. Boys tend to press those boundaries. Yeah. It's like, hey, the iron's hot. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, it's hot. Some personalities need to experience that and others can learn from from the... I would say men. Right. Well, I mean, not all men. And so one of the things that I learned about this was the discrepancy that can take place between logical knowledge and experiential knowledge. I'll give you an example. The, the, The man that was teaching me about this was deathly afraid of heights. So he would go to a water park and go to the top of the water slide and his kids would go down the slide and he could not make himself go down the slide. He was too riddled with fear, panic, overwhelm. Um, He felt like he was going to die and he could not force himself even. Sometimes people can force themselves to do things even amidst fear, but he couldn't even do that. Now, logically, he knew it was safe or he would have never let his children do it, right? I mean, just think about it. But then he couldn't force himself to do it because he was, it was so overwhelming. Well, the difference was he had experiences that told him that heights were not safe. And even though logically he knew heights were safe, he couldn't overcome those experiences, that emotion with his logic. And so I think logic is a good temperance to our emotions. I think that we should use it to calm ourselves down and not just act oh, hysterical. And I think that, you know, a lot of Christianity teaches that, you know, temperance, self-control. Right. And when you look at a lot of a lot of people that have no control of themselves and chaos, that that's that's an issue. Right. We're not advocating. Right. Just complete disregard for order and self-control and responsibility. We're not advocating that. But what we're saying is in the midst of tempering ourselves with proper truth, understanding, implementing tools, there is a full and free life that you can live. And oftentimes that's going to come through the uprooting of lies that we are not even aware of. 
So in this example, he was believing lies about height. So we can actually go in and and talk to God about those lies and get those healed. So then his emotions line up with what he already knew was logically true. There's no place else that I've seen this work, psychology, counseling, where literally the emotions change and match the logical truth. And this is what I think is so very important. There's a verse that has always stood out to me that I think really corresponds in a healthy way um, with this concept of inner healing. It's in Proverbs 20, verse 27. It says, The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. Now, what you see in a lot of our culture today in the postmodernistic society that we live in, there's a lot of talk of introspection, looking into oneself. But the problem with that is if you do that apart from God, guess what? The heart is desperately wicked who can know it. It is deceitful above all things. And so if you, in your own will, in your own mind, are going to get introspective into your own heart, which is deceitful, guess what's going to happen? You're going to deceive yourself into justifying the irresponsibility and the negligence that you have always lived with. But if you go to these places in your heart with God and allow God to use your heart, to use your soul, rather, to investigate the issues of the heart, of belief, to the depths, the roots of those issues, that's where you get freedom because you're bringing God, who is the solution to everything, into the mix. Which is actually a new experiential encounter. And so that's one of the things I learned that logic can't trump experience, but experience can trump experience. So our experiences are more powerful than just our logic alone. That encountering the Lord in those places of deep belief is creating a new experiential encounter, which is trumping with truth, with the presence of the Lord, with the most powerful thing in the universe, our wrong experiential beliefs. Back to the brain, our brain is built with different pathways that string together every time that, let's say the theme is rejection. So every time I've ever felt rejected is literally wired together in my brain. It's kind of my my loop of my brain loop of of rejection. And so every time I've ever ex- encountered that, it's it's on that same loop. And so when I encounter something that feels just a little bit like, this familiar feeling of rejection, I don't have to think about it. My brain just automatically associates it with how to feel, with all the other times that's happened, with my beliefs. And so our brain really is built on triggers. And these triggers are kind of Um, it's literally like a neurological little electro um, magnetic pulse that goes through this neuropathway. And so what we do in inner healing is we find those, those bad loops and we engage in them and we find the wrong beliefs. And then we ask the Lord about them. And when he tells us truth, it's just so powerful. And it's like, logically, we probably could have told ourselves the same thing, but it doesn't rewire our brain. Well, that's that's what you see with counseling. What's beautiful about counseling is that it's telling you truth. It's giving you life skills to be able to deal with issues so that you can hopefully um, logically control yourself as a responsible human being. But the problem is that logic oftentimes, almost all the time, conflicts with how you feel. And no, we shouldn't be governed by how we feel, but what we're saying is that there is a hope 
of freedom from that conflict of how we feel and how we think. And that's where this inner, inner healing brings resolution because it is an experiential encounter with the living God who is alive today, who says that his home and abode will be made in you in the giving of the Holy Spirit. And so now we have this opportunity to go to these deep issues of the heart with God, and that encounter literally rewires your brain to where now we have truth that usurps the lie that we have believed for so long. The man that taught me about this, he um, was a Christian counselor, and he had, you know, he was also a pastor, um, godly man, well-educated, and he understood that um, that when we're triggered, when things happen that um, shouldn't happen, like I'll give you the example of Sally. Sally's husband would go to put his arms around her, and she would jump because it would scare her, um, not because her husband wasn't the safe, loving man, but because of some childhood trauma that she hadn't experienced. And so that's not a normal reaction to a safe husband. That's a trigger, right? And so he um, actually specialized in helping people that were victims of incest. And so she was one of those, and he understood that your triggers are coming from your emotions. Emotions drive are driven by beliefs and belief come from your experiences. So he would have her, you know, feel the emotions, um, find the memory that it came from, figure out the beliefs in that place. Um, he'd be like, okay, what are you believing in this memory? And she's like, I'm dirty. It's my fault. And I'm going to die. And then he would be like, okay, now open your eyes. Now, did you die? And she's like, no. And he's like, was it your fault? You know, and, she, and she's like, no. And he's like, so should you feel dirty if it wasn't your fault? And it's like, no. And then they'd go back into the memory and that was still the same thing. I'm dirty. I'm going to die. It's my fault. And they did this over and over again. His thought was, if we can just logically reset this thing by throwing logic at it over and over and over again, then eventually it'll line up with truth. Like her beliefs will line up with truth. But the problem was is he worked with her for a long time and, and he, you know, at some point was like, you know what, I just feel like I'm re-traumatizing her going back to this memory over and over and she's not getting any better. She still has these extreme emotions, these triggers. And so one day he was praying and he said, you know what, God, like I'm going to give up. Like I'm, I don't feel like I'm helping people. You know, it's like he threw his hands up at the Lord. Well, the next time he meets with Sally, they, you know, follow the path, they follow the emotions, they find the memory, they find the beliefs. And he says, you know what, can we ask God about that? And she says, yes. So he's like, God, you know, it feels true to her that she's dirty, it's her fault, and she's going to die. What do you want her to know? And the lady starts crying and she says, the Lord says it's not my fault and that I was just a little girl and that I'm not dirty. And just all these, the Lord showed her these beautiful things. And then she had complete peace. And then when she would go back to that memory, there was no pain. There was no trauma. There was no fear. She didn't believe it was her fault anymore that she didn't believe she was going to die. You know, all the wrong beliefs were gone and it just felt calm and peaceful. And she felt the presence of the Lord in that place. He saw this shift from attack it with logic years with the same lady working with her over and over being completely healed in one encounter with the Lord and that changed everything for him and and so that's really kind of where a lot of this process began you were mentioning how um, she had peace and resolution after simply asking God and this is where we where we introduce the Holy Spirit into the equation. We ask Jesus, all right, what what is going on here? And he speaks truth. And hearing from God, having God communicate to you 
completely usurps the lie that you believed. And now you fall in line with truth about what the scripture already says to be true, but now you hear it from his lips. You might have logically already believed it. Yeah. And oftentimes you do already logically believe it. But that aspect of peace, I think, is so, so very important because in our culture today, especially after the throes of two years of COVID and shutdown and lockdowns in so many states, we have this number one issue surfacing in our country being that of depression and anxiety, loneliness, fear, all of these things that are an issue of the mind and of the soul. And how much need is there today for peace? It's it's such a great need. And so I think of this very passage in, in Romans 3, where it's talking about a world devoid of God, a world that has fallen. And we see something that's very interesting. In verse 17 of Romans 3, he says, In the way of peace they have not known. And this speaking of everyone who is doesn't know God. And that's a reality that we face today. And what's sad is that there are so many Christians that are living in the reality of what it was before Christ. And the issue is they have yet to encounter through experience the peace of God. And it's not just the peace of God, it's his goodness. You know, the the word says that it's his goodness that draws us with bands of kindness. And I think in these places of encounter with the Lord, you I've yet to see someone encounter the Lord and not result in peace and not result in a deeper revelation of his goodness. One of the symptoms of healing is is peace one of the symptoms of healing is your life actually lining up with the fruit of the spirit you know before i was very dedicated to the lord i had given myself to to the lord completely given up all my goals and surrendered everything to him given up my home my salon we went to bible college and we studied the bible 40 hours a week and i still didn't have deep fruit of the spirit you know and it's kind of like that cleaning the outside of the cup when jesus was talking about the pharisees and not cleaning the inside of the cup I inside of me, I still had pain and sadness and rejection and feelings of not being worthy. I still had a lot of fear, which was driving a lot of anger inside of me, a lot of rejection. And I wasn't seated in this place of peace, love, joy, gentleness. I was trying to be, I wanted to be more of those things. And so the only way I knew how to go about that was longer quiet times, more studying, more Jesus, more worship, more devotion. And I was just stuck in so much performance. And I didn't realize that things on the inside of me, my beliefs needed to shift and I needed to encounter the Lord. And then I started noticing when these things were happening and I was getting healing that all of a sudden I'm not angry. All of a sudden I'm not overwhelmed. I'm more peaceful. And so if this sounds like something that that you need, if you've been through trauma or if you've just had hurts and pains in life and you're thinking, I need inner healing, there are so many different types of inner healing with different philosophies that are so good that are really worldwide. When we're talking about that picture of cleansing the outside of the cup, that's in, that's in Matthew 23 when Jesus is rebuking. It's in verse 25. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. And this is what you see with behavior modification that's really taken over the church. It's like, just do this. Just do right. Do right. Do right. And that's good counseling. But if there is no 
push and urge for a transformation on the inside and a true desire for transformation, not reformation, then you're going to get a really weak church. You're going to get really weak Christians who are constantly crippled by fear, anxiety, and depression. And I'm not saying, and let, please hear me, I'm not saying that those things are not real. Anxiety and depression and fear, those things are real. You are experiencing them. But you don't have to live in that state of helplessness. You don't have to live in that state. You can be free. And the other thing with this whole cleaning the outside of the cup and and so much Christianity focusing on that, there's a huge swath of Christians that feel like that's the only way to parent is to address the outside of their children's cup. And it really doesn't address the heart. It really doesn't change um, the, the child's heart or engage them with the Lord in powerful ways where they want to obey. It's just mm. teaching to be clean on the outside. And so we'll have to do a whole podcast yeah, on parenting. That, that's a huge topic. And so not that we do everything right, but we definitely have some opinions on it. <laughs> so if this sounds like you and you feel like that you need to receive inner healing, There are some great just worldwide networks, TPM, Transformational Prayer Ministry. They have a lot of resources on their website. They can even teach you about it. They have a great manual. There's a ministry called HeartSync that really helps just align your emotions, your logic, and your protective aspects of yourself. It's really great for people that are disassociated and can really help heal that. There's Sozo, which is very prophetic. And there's a lot of other different styles as well that are very effective. You can probably just do some searches in your area to see if there's a facilitator near you. When we're talking about resources, understand that every facilitator of these resources are going to be different. What you want to find are someone who's reputable. So you know that they've been doing this for a while. You know that they have good success. You can see there's some feedback. And But the reality is there's not necessarily a lot of churches that do inner healing. I think we're probably the only one in our city or our county, maybe, that does it. I know several other churches scattered throughout the nation. Um, But when you're looking to these realities, understand that it is always pushing Christ to the center, pushing you to encounter with the living God. It is always a desire for you to um, come into alignment with Scripture and truth. And so our metric and our guide in all that we do as a church and in this aspect of inner healing, which is just one facet of Christian discipleship, is Christ-centered focus on the truth. And that all that we want to do is going to align with the inerrancy and the perfection of Scripture given to us by God Almighty. And so it is important. um, All inner healing facilitators have to know the Word of God. That way, everything is being filtered through a lens of truth and a lens of scripture. And so I'm pleased that, you know, right now I'm teaching other people how to become facilitators and that we have three churches represented from our area. And when I learned about this, I was just like, oh, my gosh, every church in America should have this ministry. The things that I've heard people say, you know, things like I've gotten more healing 
in one session than years of counseling. Today, someone was telling me how their son's counselor, who he's regularly gone to for years, was saying he'd noticed such a shift and a change in him. And her son was just mentioning the inner healing that he had gone through. And so this is truly life-changing. But we can't talk about inner healing without also talking about deliverance because they kind of go hand in hand. Next time, we're going to jump into what is spiritual warfare, what it's about, and then eventually we'll get into how it ties into inner healing and how they go hand in hand as well. Until next time, we bless you to walk in spirit and in truth.